I'm a libertarian. What I'm getting is, did why? you vote for Joe Jorgensen or Trump? Who? That, that was the perfect answer. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, to episode 18 of the Libertarian Podcast Review. We are here to review your liberty-leaning podcast, maybe help you find that artistic star you just didn't know you needed to have in your life. We compile and give you a heads up of all the best entertainers in the libertarian space, those even adjacent. So look, today on episode 18, we are going to feature Nick Ashley, the Individualist Podcast. It's part of this group that we've been featuring lately, which is the Tower Power Hour the Tower Gang, uh, Jose, Clint, all those guys. And Nick is definitely a part of that. He's young. And is his podcast worth it? We're going to find out here pretty soon. Okay. Who is Nick? What is he about? We're going to go start to finish on that. We're going to review some of the uh, categories that I have there. And we're going to play you a ton of clips. So a little behind the scenes here. This is my third attempt at this one. I want to make it right. I had some echoing going on playing the clips. If we're going to review podcasts and talk about production, we're not going to have that to be an issue. So I've had to <laughs> redo a bunch of them, uh, just some upcoming things. So first of all, um, this is the 10th Friday, um, September 10th. And uh, Josh Smith, I'm going to be on his show on Monday, the 13th. Really looking forward to that. Yesterday, you had kind of a plethora, you know, use that word again, uh, cornucopia <clears throat> of podcasts. You had Josh had his 100th episode. He had on Dave Smith, Adam Nutter, Top Lobster, uh Phil Labonte and Maj Torre, and then Robbie the Fire Bernstein came in there as well, and then Dave spun out of there, and he went over and saw with Reed Coverdale, uh, Jeremy Todd, Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown. They did kind of the six-month review of the uh, Unity Project, I would call it. Uh, evidently, David Fight, who had been part of that, um, as Dave Smith said last night, defected. So he was no longer part of that. I guess he's not into Unity, or at least not into their brand of Unity. Uh, episode 17 interviewed... Uh, Reed Coverdale of the Naturalist Capitalist podcast uh, or YouTube channel, whatever. Uh, check that out. We had, uh, it was a live one we did. Only a few people checked in uh, live, but uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with him. Very uh, grateful for his um, willingness to come on <clears throat> and kind of last minute on there. We talked about that a little bit as well. Um, then check out episode 17 or 16 where I did Tower Power Hour. Or actually, that was Lions of Liberty, I think we had. And then uh, so maybe that was 17. What are we on, 18? I, I lose all the numbers. You go back there and see those, though. Liberty, Lions of Liberty, Tower Power Gang, uh, Tower Gang um, with Andrew Hancock, Slurp Gang. Problematic. My next podcast we're going to be doing, reviewing, is going to be not a podcast. Podcast? And I could see why they, uh, they got me into some hot water with uh, one of their guests. Maybe we'll talk about that. Is that going to... Um, is that going to taint my review of their podcast? Eh, likely not. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> that vindictive. Plus, I like them too much. What are you going to do? Uh, say you don't like them just because uh, something went wrong with one people, one person on there? Okay. Nick Ashley, the Individualist Podcast. Who is Nick? He, well, he's part of this young con podcast content uh, makers, Twitter hounds they have going on. He's pretty young, um, he, but he's also got his own podcast. He's been on the Tower Gang. He's been on Josh Smith. Um, he's been uh, Patrick McFarland. He's been all around, and he's also helped Josh uh, with his microphone issues uh, early on in those things. Uh, he comes from what he I would consider he probably considers the right leaning side of the politics. Uh, at least he actually breaks that down on episode one. He has a website, uh, Individualist Podcast, and he's on YouTube as well. Only briefly, maybe we'll take a look here at some of the. Um, episodes that we've had and then we could also look at his his website and break that down as well so individualist podcast he's got 27 episodes um starting in episode one is like 25 minutes or so where he just introduced what the podcast is going to be about then he does his ideological development <clears throat> in episode two biden's nonsense gun control and i'm not going to go through all of these but i'm just telling you those three were were solos and then he had his first guest on jose galison ace arcus jared rebel uh jared i was i was a little questionable that one because he is a law student and typically for me as an attorney law students are a little bit much uh, they seem to know it all they've seen they've done a business law business class so they they just are experts in everything and everything's theoretical and not real life um, and then Jared made the comment where he said he wanted to do family law Jared run don't walk I'm a family law attorney run away <laughs> 
run away. Actually, you know, maybe we need good uh, family law attorneys in there. Um, but uh, actually, I was I was pretty happy with with what I heard from him in there. He's a smart guy. Uh, what else? We have Drew Hancock was on there. Patrick Kirby, uh, Trevor Robinson, John, Dr. Jonathan Newman. I think that's Patrick Newman's brother. I think he and Patrick uh, are both um, at with the Mises Institute. Patrick is the one that's kind of deciphered a lot of um, Murray Rothbard's uh, writings and disseminated them out into to additional books. Patrick McFarlane, uh, Shane Effing Hazel, Neil Kahn Remover, um, Though Bishop, James Gentleman, Cotton, what Pulse to the Walls podcast, Morality and Legality with Ace, and the last one, Jared of the Hoppian.org. All righty. So those are kind of this what we've had. Maybe we'll take a look at his actual website. And you can get an idea, uh, you know, I would go there. It's it's pretty bare bones, but um, at least the bare bones part of it is, um, gives you an idea that uh, he's at least got something out there. So he gives a breakdown, call me a Rothbardian, anarcho-capitalist, anarchist, libertarian, whatever suits your fancy. The label I prefer to use for myself is Austro-Libertarian, and we will get into some of that. He talks about his own personal life, uh, as far as his personal journey. Um, He's got uh, podcast episodes. If you click on that page there, it lists at least what the last five or so you can play right there. Um, he's in, on Anchor. He's on uh, Overcast. He's also on YouTube. He's got a blog that he's written up about some issues. Now, his, his episode started in February of 2021, and his blog posting is then as well, and he's only made on Twitter a little bit. So, um, yeah, check him out. Uh, it's... Uh, it's solid stuff. Um, let's also then look at where he's at on YouTube. So he's got a YouTube page. Look for Nick Ashley. He's got 195 subscribers, three episodes posted there. I think we're going to end up trying to encourage him to do more because I actually enjoyed the ones you have there. Um, part of the thing I enjoy, at least for me, when I'm talking about um, reviewing these is I like, I'm, I'm a little lazy. I don't like to necessarily rip them down and do an MP3 or an MP4 and then play it up as a, as a separate video clip on that. What I like to do is use a podcast catcher or YouTube where you can do it at those specific timestamps. And then I just have a link and I click it and I go from there. Um, it makes it much easier, a little bit lazier. Hence why sometimes maybe I've said on your pod about your podcast that it's not preferable if you're not on YouTube. Anyway, um, Nick Ashley is on overcast.fm, which gives me this ability to take that on. Okay, let's do a quick overview and then we'll start getting into some clips and then talk about some categories. So um, 27 episodes as of today, the 10th of February. Uh, February, that's when he started. Uh, the 10th of September. Um, his first episodes were dropped in February 13, basically telling us what he's planning to do. Then he did an overview of his ideology. Then he did another one about Biden's gun control. Then boom, episode four, he has Jose Gallison on. He brought on the mighty No Way Jose. From there, it's been a huge influx for uh, him of guests, a few solo shows, and uh, some audio, audio um, appearances from other podcasts he's been on. How about the topics? Well, are they specific or do they pretty much stay within the libertarian movement? Nothing really specific. Um, it's been an interesting smattering of guests. Um, Nick, to me, is super entertaining and funny, and that's why we've seen him on other shows, like with Josh and, and Fakertarians, as an example, Tower Gang. Um, we bummed rushed the Fakertarian show, which was uh, fantastic, by the way. Uh, but this one is, a lot of times, it's a little bit of evergreen, some philosophical topics, topics about uh, specific people, and uh, pretty stale as far as that goes. Uh, guests, yes, wide-ranging guests. He's had on, you know, the anonymous Twitter people, uh, Ace Arcus, the neocon remover, and then real people like Shane Hazel, Jonathan Newman, Reed Coverdale, Drew Hancock. And the only reason I say anonymous is uh, so Ace, neocon remover. Uh, Ace just recently started showing video of himself, but I don't think Ace, Ace Arcus is underscore Arcus is his real name. Uh, Bert Graham is the neocon remover, and he kind of is anonymous as far as uh, his face goes. So, you know, maybe that's not even his real name. People don't want to get doxxed for whatever reason. Totally understand. Um, that's the only reason I say uh, anonymous in a sense there. Duration, the show is about 25 minutes on some of the solo stuff, up to almost an hour. Some of them are a little bit longer, but you're averaging probably around 45, 50 minutes there. Uh, the frequency, he's got 27 episodes <clears throat> in the last seven months. So this averages to just under four a month. Uh, he did head out to YAL, which is Young uh, Americans for Liberty, I think, in Childerberg. So there was a, maybe a little bit of a break that he needed there. Um, and look, Young, new episode, uh, new new uh, podcast. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about some of his uh, production stuff as well. 
Um, libertarian activism. Is this a libertarian activism show? No, I think it's oh, maybe. I mean, it's pushing his his thoughts and, and he's out there. I, I don't know if this is his real name. I can't tell. Have to Jose. That's not his real name either. Maybe Jose, since he's out of the military, he'll come out with his his actual name. And I was disappointed to hear he's not Hispanic. Oh, um, anyway, this he does outreach as far as his show goes. If that's uh, libertarian activism to you, then so be it. How about we get into the highlights? Okay, let's start off with episode one and kind of give a, sh- uh, a little bit of a sound here to what it is like uh, his open and um, podcast episode one. And here is Nick Ashley on the open. The Individualist Podcast. Welcome to episode one of the Individualist Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ashley. I'm really excited to be launching this thing. It's been in the works for a bit now. I've been hoping to do it for a while. I just now was able to actually sit down and flesh out a website and get that stuff up and running. So here we are. This first episode is going to be a short introductory one to talk a little bit about myself and what I'm hoping this show is going to be all about. On my website, individualistpodcast.com, I have an About Me tab where you can read a little summary of the things that I believe. And there we have it for the open on his podcast. Okay. So, you know, look, sometimes I like to do this. We talked <laughs> with Mark Claire, uh, Lines of Liberty, either thing, oh my God, this was back, you know, eight, nine years ago. A little bit cringe on some of your first ones. Pete. Kenyunas made that comment. Oh, this is cringe, but all. Um, but this is just episode one. This is how he came out of the blocks. Um, you know, it's much different process talking to yourself into a recording device than just being able to talk to people or being asked questions. So um, anyway, that's what it is. Uh, the one thing I would say that uh, coming right out of the blocks is you can tell there he's got, and we'll go more in production later, but I just kind of wanted to play this with, he's got some music. It's quality sound with that. He comes in. Uh, he's obviously using a mic. I've mentioned this before, but when I was doing my, I do have a cycling podcast and about almost 300 episodes there. And when I was doing my first few, you know, it starts out as headphones, you know, into a, a cell phone uh, and it gets better and better. He starts out right out of the blocks coming out. Good, good quality sound, good microphone. I think he has a sure uh, microphone there and uh, nothing to, to shake a stick at as far as that goes. So I, me personally, I'm like, you know, we've talked about how some of the, the shows, uh, the sound quality in production isn't necessarily great. It's just boom, kind of come on and there it is. And maybe you don't have the ability to um, do that production yourself. Makes sense. But you're getting a podcast out. Sometimes the qu- qu- content is so much better than the quality uh, of the, the, the production that you're okay with it. Um, Nick comes out and he gives us some good quality production right away. And, and I tried to remember. I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I do enjoy a well put together podcast. It's got some music, a little sound coming in. He's where he's talking, uh, it fades out and there you have it. And so Nick does in his show, he gives a little brief interlude of of usually introducing what the show is going to be about and who's going to be on there. Sometimes like, Hey, there was some technical problems here with Drew Hancock as an example, just da 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 da. da. And then at the same uh, with the outro. Okay. Let's go on to episode four. He brings in no way Jose. Uh, Jose Galasson, and we are going to talk here uh, right away. Um, let's talk about the weather. I think that's that's what uh, he wants to do. Welcome to the Individualist Podcast. episode four of the individualist podcast today we have our first guest of the show jose galison he is the host of the no way jose podcast you can find him on youtube the channel name is no way jose he is also a creator for the youtube channel called the liberty movement 
He is an agorist, anarchist, and I am very happy to have him on the show. Welcome, Jose. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You? I'm doing great. Oh, you're, are you uh, getting pummeled by the cold weather, freezing your pipes and everything? Are you in a spot where it's not hurting you too bad? No, I'm in Florida, so it's oh, okay. Um, you uh, we're we're chilling. <laughs> I'm in Georgia. We're not getting too much. Uh, we're not getting too bad anyway. It's cold, but it isn't too bad. Okay. I, just, I don't know why I played that. I just thought it was interesting because he, he talks a little later about the weather as well. Okay. So is there such a thing as an alt-right to Liberty pipeline or is it the uh, the pipeline going from Liberty to the alt-right? Uh, Jose Galison, we continue with you. They wouldn't even recognize that there is a hypocrisy there because in their mind, the principles don't exist in the first place. Exactly. So what kind of, I know you, you said Ron Paul was a sort of a catalyst for you getting involved in this stuff. Do you have any, like, what, I like reading Rothbard, I like reading Bastiat, even though Bastiat wasn't expressly an anarchist, he was a radical minarchist, I would say. Are there people that you started to read and started to get more into this? Who are, the, who are your favorites whenever, off the top of your head, who do you like to read in this anarchism, libertarianism stuff? Well, I guess we can kind of tie this back into my development, really the big yeah. part of my development. I know you kind of were, I feel like we, you were kind of like inching at like, you know, what was your moment? And I know a lot of people have a moment. I didn't have a moment from becoming a libertarian. My moment was becoming an anarchist. Mm -hmm. And so my moment, and that came from reading, which came from really was, I listened, I've been listening to Dave Smith podcast for forever, the part of the problem. Yeah. And he always went on about anatomy of the state with Rothbard. And I just was not someone who even really read. I mean, I would read comics here and there, uh, but nothing like too crazy. I wouldn't read any like, you know, philosophy and stuff. And then just him going on about it forever and ever, it was just finally his like cult of personality that drew me into like, you know what, I should read this book. And I kind of was at that, at that point, I was like a minarchist, like kind of constitutionalist. Right. And so like I read Anatomy of State and a big part of Anatomy of State is like, he just kind of points out the logical flaws in that this would even work at all. And like, and he kind of did focus a lot on the founding and the constitution and just like how power will just naturally over time, just no matter what, like you can wish all you want and be like constitution's this great document. And if we only just did that, if we only just did this and it's like, but the problem is, you know, we're not just like wishing that is just wishing on a star. Like you're hoping mm -hmm. that people just go back to the constitution. It's like, that's not going to happen. Like if, if only people did good things and not bad things, like yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, just, of course. it's just wishful thinking, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of what Nanny State really drove home for me. And that's, that was that. I mean, I've, I've, you know, with reading though, like that was my big book. Probably my other big, you know, transformational book was probably uh, Konkin's books. You know, obviously, you know, Agorist Primer, uh, New Libertarian Manifesto, and then uh, Agorist Class Primer. They were all great. He's a great author. Um, Rothbard, him, God, Larkin. Larkin's great. Uh, Superstition, uh, Most Dangerous Superstition is a great book. Obviously, Spooner. I've read like everything of Spooner. That was, those, those are probably, I'd say, probably the ones that were those transformational. You know, I think I, I think I literally read Anatomy of the State and I think I read uh, No Treason After. Mm -hmm. And so like, I basically just, you know, did a one, two on whatever delusion I had of the constitution, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one, that. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, well done there, Galizon. Uh, your pipeline to the alt, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, next one is, well, this has to do with, um, the concept of uh, kind of the, the communists and what they're about multiple generations. They talk about that. And then I have perhaps, is it a bone to pick? We'll see. So they got into that personal. Yeah. So they got into that a little bit. It's just like, they don't have any meaningful difference, you know, between the two. And it's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a nightmare trying to debate them. Most of the time I just go, are you trying to impose violence on me? No. Okay. I don't care. What economic system are you trying to, do you think we should use? It's more of just a preference state, a statement at that, at that point, you know, what? I mean, the, the biggest thing, like I said, is the, pro the private property thing. If you say you're going to impose violence for private property, then they're like, ah, that, yeah, that's not cool with that, me. I don't care. If you think magically, once we get real estate, we're all going to voluntarily live in communes and it's just going to be great, then cool, whatever. You can have that thought. I don't care. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't I think, think their that number is uh, three generations. I could be quoting that wrong, but I think they believe that within three generations of a communist society, a new communist man will have arisen and will not want to own anything and will not, everybody will be pretty much a collective of, there won't be individuals anymore, from what I understand. I could yeah, be getting it wrong. So sorry, yeah. angry communist preemptively. I apologize. I could be getting it wrong. Most of this knowledge is too. absorbed through osmosis from listening to other people talking about it. Yeah. And I've heard that before too, the three generations. Thing. Okay. And you know what? Like, I mean, with, okay. So there, there we go. So I, I one, I don't believe that. <clears throat> yes, it's probably right. The communists do believe that. I just don't think that's ever attainable. You're going to have to make people kind of like uh, go against their, their own self will in a gen, in a sense for a lot of this. And then secondly, osmosis. That is the movement of solvent between uh, per two permeable uh, membranes, semi-permeable membranes. So um, I'm going <laughs> to, it's the jihad of my life and something, I, a, a hill I'm going to die in. I think um, we're going to say diffusion. You know, people always say, oh, look, I laid on a book and I learned by osmosis. No, no, you didn't. Maybe you learned by diffusion, which is the transfer of, of, of 
it's not a solvent basically or water think of it that way um although i now that i think about this uh nick talking about these commies maybe they're a little bit on the hydrocephalic which is cephalus which is cephalic hydrocephalus i think it is uh water on the brain so maybe maybe that is uh, the transfer you have there um Okay, I'm, all I'm saying is just use diffusion. It maybe helps and, and nothing against Nick or anybody else. This is just my own personal problem. So my own little uh, engineering autistic uh, way I have about me. Okay, let's go to episode five. It was Ace Arcist Ace comes onto the show and he had a, a an interesting thing. Well, well first of all, Nick, and I'll, I'll probably mention this again later, but I uh, was saying at the start of this, uh, or at the end of this episode, that he was somewhat nervous about it. But uh, he actually did a great job. And this one, have you heard? I, I learned all kinds of stuff on these shows. And one of them is about Nesballs. Have you heard of Nasballs? Nasballs? I think that's what it is. Whenever you were arguing with, um, I think they were Nasballs. About oh, Ross God, Ulbricht? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes, that was wild. Now, I, were they Nazballs or am I getting that wrong? No, they were. Okay, now yes, could, for, were. The, uh, for the uninitiated, could you explain briefly what a Nazball is? Because I'm not that familiar with the concept yeah. myself. Yeah, they're Nazi Bolsheviks, okay. uh, which are, uh, so you take the you take fascism and then you take communism and you mix them together a little bit and you get a Nazball. So it's a like really they're, awful they're, abomination. They're, yeah, they're, they're pretty much the, the worst thing you can imagine. I thought so. So yeah. the, the Ross... Yeah, that does sound like the worst thing you can imagine. Uh, Nazballs. I didn't know that was a thing, but evidently it is. Um, so now uh, Ace Arcus comes on here and he has a discussion first early on uh, regarding um, Ross Ulbrich. And Ross Ulbrich, if you don't know much about him, he, well, you, I would encourage you actually to listen to the episode. And when you do so, he'll he'll end up uh, informing you of, of a lot of it. But one, if you do know something about it, I thought this was fairly interesting about the murder for hire. And then we'll, we'll talk about that um, coming up here. Okay. And let's see if we can do this. Here is that uh, there's these claims of murder for hire that he hired hitmen. I've heard of that. Assassinate people. Well, there's no actual like proof that it was him who did this, right? Or like all that they all they have is a chat log with um, the admin account known as Dread Pirate Roberts. Mm -hmm. um, seemingly hiring a guy who is trying to extort them for money right that they're trying to he's trying to hire a hitman for a guy who is threatening to extort the website and like to get the feds involved in it and uh but th there's a couple things that everyone misses right um it's true that ross was i believe i believe he well i don't even know if that is true I, there's no proof that he was that dread pirate roberts right, right. we know there's multiple of them because people on the website themselves admitted there's multiple of them uh one of the people who were who was an admin on the site admitted there was multiple of them and then uh, we also have proof because the Dread Pirate Roberts account logged in while he was in jail. So that account got logged in while he was in jail. So this idea that uh, um, people that was around that is, is in question, right? Yeah, exactly. So they, like the idea that people can just go out and say, oh, well, he hired Hitman. Well, for one, you have no proof that was even him or if to be honest, if even the chat logs are accurate, right? Because they could have been tampered with. We know the uh, we know there were feds on the website. Right? Oh, so yeah. you, you have to, all this all these things get called into question immediately. And you can't I, I think it's very wrong just to take these at face value, especially when uh, two of the agents who were on the website undercover um, went to prison for stealing Bitcoin off the website. Oh, so, yeah, I wasn't aware of that either. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one other item you might want to think about there is so he had these murder for hire charges and then he goes to, you know, the whole trial and through sentencing and the murder for hire charges were absolutely dropped. They didn't adjudicate those at all, partly because they couldn't find anything and it just was bullshit. So but in the sentencing, they did use that against him, which is pretty heinous. And, and you know, coming from I, I can't understand how you wouldn't have that as a, as a major, a, a, almost an immediate appealable issue. Um, and I know they've, they are appealing this. So at, at least on the sentencing, I think it's been given two life sentences. Okay, uh, this next one, we are going to talk about uh, a few things. One is, um, once again, talk about the weather. That's going on. You're not, a, you're not somewhere where the, uh, the weather's killing you, is it? Uh, no, I, I'm in uh, I'm in Maine right now, but it's not. I'm not getting a huge amount of snow. Oh, okay. So you're way yeah. up there. So you're using oh, the cold yeah. regardless. You're not gonna the stuff yeah. that's going on in Texas. That's that's oh, yeah, normal no. stuff for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm seeing all these like sneering neoliberals just giving the giving Texas and Texans so much shit mm -hmm. for. Oh well, that's what happens when you have a red state, or that's what happens when you have deregulation. That's a whole other conversation. I know there's a lot of <laughs> you know deregulation. There's way more to the story than that, and I don't really want to get into that too badly, but doesn't it piss you off whenever these sneering libs just yeah. talk shit about the poor people who are having their pipes busted, who, who have no control over what regulations there are ultimately? 
Right. And these people are always the ones who say who, and I mean, justifiably so would say, you know, it's not okay to victim blame, you know, so it's always right Uh, to them. It's just about um, and to conservatives, too. I don't want to come here as like vice just against one side. But it's like, you know, uh, they just use whatever means they can. They will never let any type of event, whether catastrophe or tragedy, go to waste. Right. Whatever Whatever they can use to pursue their power and pursue their influence. Uh, they will take right and this is like like for me it's not even a fact of like um like uh, what conservatives will do is when they get attacked by liberals is they'll point out how inconsistent they are yeah but it's like they are going back to the argumentation ethics to try to convince people it's like uh they just don't care exactly it's like like you pointing out that they're a hypocrite well it's good to point out that people are hypocrites so that other people you know in the crowd maybe can see them as hypocrites to educate a third party on that that that's right but if you think you're going to change these people's minds by showing oh hey you're actually wrong here you shouldn't be pursuing this power you know it's like well, most people just don't act like that, right? They're they're just going to ignore you and pretend you don't exist or, you know, demean you in some way. Yeah. Uh, right. And for me, that was a reason. Look, I used to be part of the GOP and, and Republican, and I've left it, and I don't plan on going back. I know there's some conflict right now about should libertarians be joining the GOP or be pushing that. I, me personally, I just, the hypocrisy and all that, I'm not, I'm not making my way back to that group. I'll vote as I wish. But uh, as far as that goes, no, I'm not going to. Um, one other item here, uh, con- uh, a little bit of the issue that they spoke about, which is near and dear to my heart, is the issue of the utopian myth. So um, I thought this was greatly done. I talked to uh, Clint, uh, Liberty Lockdown, when he was on my show, kind of about this. And I think it's, and I've heard a few other people, it's not because of me, but uh, maybe we're just all coming to it from the same realization. Because every time you talk about anarchy, they always talk that it's a, uh, a utopia. You're trying to get a to- utopia. And I personally believe it's not that way. And these two gentlemen uh, nail it out of the park of uh, basically concurring, <laughs> concurring? concurring with uh, my points of view. Uh, so here we go. Uh, Ace and Nick Ashley. No anarchists. There, okay, let me not say no, because I'm certain yeah. that there's some anarcho-communists, not to pick on them in particular, mm-hmm. but there are certain people that are utopian whenever sure. they are talking about anarchism. Right. But, you know, no anarchists that I follow, the, no, none of our fellow travelers would be would say everything's going to get better. Uh, everything's yeah. going to be perfect, rather. It's just an right. improvement. It's a removal of a single ill from it the fix, human condition. It fixes one bad problem. Yeah. That's it, right? It's just like, me, <laughs> saying that you shouldn't want to abolish the state because that's you're because that is utopian to want to do that is akin to saying we shouldn't be curing some of the diseases we have now because humans will never eradicate disease does that make sense well, yeah and then you know you'll die anyway yeah deal, right it's or like that. well i guess yeah, yeah it's like, but yeah let me just speak on the utopian thing too because that's brought up a of great course. point is um uh, people always use utopian in two different ways, right? Utopian in the literal sense means a place that can't exist, that's impossible to exist. Mm-hmm. Or, or what, what most people mean by it is that it's just unrealistic, right? That's yeah. what they mean. Uh, and I, I just want, I want to counter that by saying that um, actually most people alive today have utopian beliefs in that sense, that they're unrealistic every day of their right. lives and they think that's fine. Yeah. So an example I use is that we'll never eradicate or probably never will eradicate murder from the human condition. Okay. Yeah. But we don't get, we don't then see people's uh, concluding from that uh, realization that, well, we need to accept some murder as legitimate exactly. or justified. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like these people have utopian beliefs everywhere, all over the place. They can look for them anywhere. Right. And well said, and I can't uh, disagree more. Uh, so my, my concept is, you know, something that doesn't exist, uh, kind of your, your little litmus test to cheap way of going about it is, um, my feeling is um, it's places that you have to use coercion. So if, if this idea is you got to be coerced into that idea and then coercion is also required to keep you there, maybe that place that you're trying to get, that philosophy is utopia. <clears throat> what I'm trying to do is just everyone, you know, anarchy in a sense is, is definitely uh, not that, but it also leads to the fact if you ever get there, you're probably not, not going to stay there for very long. Okay. Uh, episode 10, he had Drew Hancock on. Uh, they went, they, they started this thing off pretty hot talking about, uh, of course, a viral tweet of some sort and uh, Duncan Limp, um, Daniel Shaver. And I thought this was a good way to start this one out. I am doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time, man. So uh, you had a, we were speaking about this before we started recording. You had something go real viral on Twitter that uh, that I came across because was it today or yesterday, the anniversary of Duncan Lemp's death? Um, I think it was yesterday. So explain what I'm talking about here. What happened with your viral tweet? So with my tweet, so uh, there was some police shooting, which uh, was more of a gray one than usual. Like I could see both sides of it, but nonetheless, there was a reply doing it saying, uh, 
if you comply to the, with the police, 100% of the time you will live to see another day and you can fight them in court if you think they were wronged. Yeah. And I just quote tweeted it with a picture from the Daniel Shaver video of him sitting in the hallway with his hands straight up in the air. And uh, yeah, it's at like 20,000 likes right now. <laughs> Have so, you gotten a whole influx of follows from that? Uh, so not too many follows. Like I got like another 50 followers from it. Mm. It really blew up with like BLM Twitter. And oh, stuff. I so uh, I got like 16 likes in the first minutes. I was like, oh, this might make the rounds. I linked my police video in the reply mm. to it. And uh, yeah, I got a bunch more subscribers and stuff. I also have a lot more dislikes of people telling me because at one point in the video, I say racism is not the problem with police. It's yeah. their power and their ability to harm peaceful people. And a lot of progressives like BLM people, they'll hear that and they'll just tune out of everything else. I Which is uh, too bad to hear because the tuning out is not uh, good. You know, it, it, you're, you're able to defend it on your side. You're a whole happy. And then as soon as it's happening to someone else that you don't like that side, well, then it's, it's okay. So they're going to tune out on that one. Um, yeah, interesting. I thought that was an interesting perspective that he, um, Drew Hancock, uh, gave of his uh, video and how, you know, those are things, as we've talked about, should be spanning both sides of the aisle and everyone be in agreement. And anyway, uh, episode 10, we continue with Drew and he talks about section 230, which um, I found to be, uh, I, you know, learned some things and I think, I don't know if he changes over time on some of this, but um, it's pretty good uh, astute analysis of this uh, near the end here. Let's go uh, episode 10, Drew Hancock. Especially as of late is, and you have a video on this, of course, and why I'm bringing it up <laughs> is the uh, social media and section 230. Your video, told, I mean, I didn't really know a whole lot about Section 230 before watching your video, and I'm still not too clear on exactly how the things are working. The one thing that I want to ask you, though, because the big contention is if, they're, if they should be treated like a public utility, and I'm putting that in quotes, people, uh, or if they're really a <laughs> private company, and again, that's in quotes, and some people make the argument that, well, no, they're receiving subsidies, which, as you point out, is really not subsidies, but most of the time it's tax breaks. Uh, but I do remember part of the conversation whenever Donald Trump was on Twitter and there was a conversation being had whether or not he should be able to block people. Uh, so some people, it seems like a lot of people want social media companies to be viewed as a public utility when it suits them and a private company when it suits them uh, otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. But I mean, yeah, basically with the whole Section 230 thing, a lot of people completely misunderstand it and mm -hmm. they think that uh, it defines what a publisher and a platform is. All of that was decided through like court cases beforehand. And the Section 230 was basically just overriding the second court case between Stratton Oakmont and I don't remember who they were versus but um and yeah so stuff about donald trump not being able to block people i haven't heard about that um but here's what i will say i know that um twitter's being sued right now because there was like a 12 year old boy who had a pornographic video of himself uploaded oh my and God. they're claiming they're claiming section 230 uh, as their defense so i say in the video that there's exceptions to section 230 for stuff like that mm -hmm. that basically could completely flip me on the issue where if that holds up in court where twitter can't be sued for hosting that content because of section 230 then yeah i'll be all in favor of getting rid of section 230 like um people okay that that makes sense and you know we also have um we have our own morality and we'll talk about that a little bit later just because something's moral doesn't necessarily mean it is uh, legal doesn't necessarily mean it is moral okay we started up front um discussing or uh, discuss you know telling you about uh nick's like philosophy austro uh economics austro austro economics um so with that in mind, he brings on uh, Dr. Jonathan Newman uh, from Mises.org, uh, who's also a professor of economics at a small college, and they have uh, a good uh, discussion. One of those things that they first talk about is, you know, is, is uh, being an Austro-economist actually uh, being a libertarian. So um, Jonathan Newman gives you uh, a little bit of his answer here and maybe a breakdown as to uh, the go-ahead if you want to be a libertarian and uh, and an Austro-economic. A dozen episodes in, and I have on my website that I consider myself to be an Austro-libertarian for the reason that Austrian, the discovery of the Austrian school was so foundational in me becoming a libertarian. So I think I know the answer to this first question that I'm gonna ask you here, but uh, being that you're affiliated with the Mises Institute and most Austrian e economists tend to be this, but do you consider yourself uh, a libertarian? Yes, yes, definitely. And really the, the relationship between Austrian economics and libertarianism uh, should be pretty obvious. Um, and the reason why is because a lot of the conclusions of Austrian economics lend themselves to uh, the government not being able to improve on, on market outcomes. So we see in, in voluntary exchange, there's mutual benefit, um, prices are coordinated in the market. Uh, there's not really room for, for the government to come in and make things, make things better. 
Uh, and in fact, whenever the government does try to step in, it usually makes it makes people worse off. It makes them um, do things that they otherwise wouldn't have done. Um, and so really because of like the main conclusions of Austrian economics, there's this overlap between Austrian economists and libertarians and vice versa, I'd say, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because the conclusions of, even though Austrian economics is, is an objective scientific way of, of doing economics, um, which means that there aren't any policy prescriptions that come out of Austrian economics, there's still a lot of overlap because the conclusions lend themselves to the liberty position. Yeah, and uh, there you go. So you have the, uh, right now you are given the pass to be called a libertarian if you want them there. Um, I just thought that was an interesting uh, start with uh, kind of a description there. Um, another item they're going to talk about here is uh, about reading the intro. And then um, Nick actually has, makes a good point about, uh, do you know any uh, economists? You know, we were really big into knowing everything about names of scientists, and he'll talk about that. And uh, Jonathan Newman gives him a, a good answer here. Um, I think I think it's in both human action and man economy and state. There's this great discussion about Mises's and Rothbard's views on monopoly because there was a little bit of a, of a difference of opinion there. Um, and so it's just great to see those sorts of things before you get into the book. Um, so I highly recommend anybody who's looking at uh, reading some Austrian literature, don't skip the introduction and don't skip the footnotes. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember telling this to my coworkers. You know, I didn't learn the name of any single economist when I was in uh, high school or college except for Adam Smith and John Maynard Keynes. But every scientific, you know, th- or I don't know theory or what, you know, would be the correct word, but every scientific thing that I learned about, not every one, but most of them, I learned the scientists behind it. You know, I, I, I learned in chemistry, who came up with the plum pudding model of the atom and who came up with X, Y, or Z model of whatever else thing. And I learned about Isaac Newton and I learned about Leibniz and calculus. So I didn't learn any, in high school, I didn't learn any economist's name except for Adam Smith. And in college, it wasn't even, I I took maybe maybe one or two economics classes. I think just one even, but uh, it was in a history class where we were speaking about, we were around World War II and how, you know, it got us out of the depression, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. John Maynard Keynes came up because it was his, you know, that's basically his kind of thing there. That is really a great thing. And Austrians aren't afraid to say, hey, I think my predecessor was incorrect. And we see that especially with Walter Block in particular, who does it all <laughs> the time uh, to the point where it's, it's, it's funny, really. And it's like, well, you got to be able to do that. You have to build on what you see as mistakes to learn and to grow. So I'm glad you made that point. Rothbard makes that point explicitly in uh, at the beginning of his his uh, history of economic thought text so at the beginning of uh, economic thought before adam smith i think it's, it might be the introduction actually talks about the difference in the, the Whig theory of history and the Kuhnian theory of history and the point there is that one way to look at the history of ideas is that we're just constantly getting better and better yeah so like the newest the newest idea is always the best because it just it just builds on the last thing that was written by the by the most recent guy and then we, we just like, we clarify it a little bit and then we, we add that to the body of literature and then somebody else comes on and makes it even better. So like it's this progress, progressive always getting better. Mm-hmm. As compared to the, the theory of history that says, no, we, sometimes we drop the ball. We make mistakes sometimes. Um, so in the history of economic thought, we, I mean, first of all, it doesn't even make sense to say that we're constantly improving yeah. because economists that are in the same time period, contemporary economists will, will say mutually exclusive, conflicting, things about economics. So it doesn't make sense to say that the, at least economic thought has progressed in this linear, always getting better uh, sort of way, but that some economists are, are carrying one tradition, other economists are carrying another tradition. And Rothbard's, the way Rothbard does the economic thought books is he, he is not ashamed to say, yeah, these guys dropped the ball. These guys, they didn't do a good job. Um, they made this sort of mistake. And of course, there you go. So uh, I thought that was an interesting one there. It's almost like applying the scientific theory uh, to economics, which, you know, should be the case. Uh, let's keep going here. Uh, Jonathan Newman uh, gets posed a good question about uh, Keynesianism, uh, Mises, and MMT. And if you haven't known much about MMT, uh, this should actually uh, interest you a little bit. Uh, and Dr. Um, Robert P- uh, Bob. Robert Murphy uh, has written about it as well over at Mises.org. And here we go, uh, Jonathan Newman on MMT. Over a dozen episodes in, and I have on my website that I consider myself to be an Austro-Libertarian for the reason that Austrian, the discovery of the Austrian school was so foundational in me becoming a Libertarian. So I think I... Okay, so this is one of those where I screwed up the uh, think spot. Think has progressed in this find linear, it right here. always getting better and then, um, sort of way, but that some economists it. are, which is just preposterous if you think about it, because, oh, yeah. I mean... Uh, economics has always... thought is Okay, and we will try once again from this spot going forward. 
it's just, it's brilliant to do it that way. Uh, completely off the wall question here. Sure. Uh, but now that I've mentioned canes, we can kind of get into this. Um, so I feel just from an from a layman's perspective, the, the nemesis of Austrian school uh, economics has always been Keynesian school. Do you, do you think so? Sure, yeah. So there are differences between the Austrian school and the monetarist uh, school. <laughs> oh, you have a great lecture on that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, probably the biggest differences are between the Austrians and the Keynes, especially when it comes to policy prescriptions. Okay, and uh, well, the question, my actual question is, do you think that um, MMT, modern monetary theory, for those who aren't familiar, uh, may unseat Keynesianism as the nemesis of the Austrians? Because from what I see on Bob Murphy's Twitter, it looks like it's going in that direction. I would, I would say yes and no. So yes, because... MMT gives everything that the politicians want, yes. which is a blank check for government spending. <laughs> but also no, because I wouldn't say that MMT is saying anything that's much different than you know standard Keynesianism. That's true. So it's 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 a new it's a new term, but it's really old ideas. Uh, there's a great post by uh, Jeff Dice on, on Mises.org that explains it, that explains this. It's just inflationism dressed up in new languages. The idea that that there's no constraint on what governments can do in, in terms of spending. That uh, taxes are just a tool that that the government can use to increase or decrease the amount that consumers are spending. Oh. Um, it's, I mean, these these ideas are as old as Keynesianism is. Yeah. And they're All right, and they're just as dangerous as always. So uh, look, um, part of this, sorry, on the production side here, for me, um, like I said, I get links and I post them out and um, using some of these uh, different uh, uh, software programs, StreamYard is for example, what I use, it doesn't always uh, work the best. Anyway, uh, Jonathan Newman, that's all we're going to show for him. Let's go on to episode 19. I thought um, Nick did a really good job here. He had Neil Conremover on to discuss, and they basically just had a bunch of Twitter questions and then went through them, and it was a, it was, it was a lot of fun. So he takes questions from Twitter. He asked Bert Grimm to answer them. Bert is Neil Connery mover. And, and by the way, you can learn a lot here from this about how to conduct yourself and what's appropriate and not for following Bert on Twitter. A Neil Connery mover. I don't know who I'm supposed to refer to you as. Um, so you can say he's kind of like Michael Malik because he's very touchy on some of these things. A little like, like Michael Malice with, uh, but with a smaller following. Uh, not to at all be uh, rude about that. It just, I think he gets uh, evicted from Twitter more often than Michael Malice does somehow. Okay, here we go. Uh, Neil Connery mover with Nick Ashley. Uh, okay, I, it looks like a lot of these are not exactly serious. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, well, just read all of them, don't you think? Or no? are they yeah, really I will. Bad? I will. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read them all. Uh, well, I'll just go down the list. Um, well, the first one is, have you seen this man? And it's a picture of some guy, so I don't know. Well, ignore that one, Des I guess. Describe, describe the guy. <laughs> He's an older man making faces. He's got glasses and gray hair and a muscle is he, shirt. Is he pulling his face? Yeah. Kind of? Oh, okay, do you know who that is? I do not. It's Ed Buck. I don't know who that is. Wow. Disavowed. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's some, that's, some, that's some research for you. Okay. Google, Google Ed Buck. <laughs> All right. So we can Google Ed Buck, um, which I already knew who he was, but uh, we'll share this here and just let you see exactly who Ed Buck is. Ed Buck is a prominent Democrat donor convicted in deaths of two men he gave, <laughs> he gave jobs. It's pretty salacious uh, little outing there. And, you know, I mean, look, if you don't know who he is, I'm sorry. Um, but, um, you know, Google these things and you'll you'll find out. Okay, next one we have here is a Twitter poll decorum. And once again, I'm still figuring out how to, what to do on Twitter to make sure that these people don't hate me. Uh, and let's see what they have to say about it. Individual at last underscore individual. How do you feel about write-in answers on Twitter polls? Um, whenever you whenever they're not asked, I hate yeah, it. Me too. That's he, he's taking. I think he's taking a stab at me because I spurg out over it. Yeah, like I, 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 I actually kind of hate anyone who replies to my tweets. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not really. Oh, God. This person made fun of me for uh, my horrifically bad grammatical error in the original tweet. Because I said, this is what I said. The tweet was supposed to say, going to be recording a show with that Neo Connor mover this Sunday. And it, what it says is, going to be doing recording show. <laughs> so I, I don't no, know I, how I, I wanted I, to do that. I read it. <laughs> that's, for the, that's for the audience, Bert. They, oh, I'm sorry. They, they might not be reading it, but yeah. He, so this person's I've been doing recording show and with the, with the, like the font of the like bird looking SpongeBob with all the capital and lowercase letters mixed about. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I screwed up, Alan. I, I apologize. Uh, lovely uh, Ace Arcist asks, why did gay Obama order the $65,000 pizza? Excellent question. <laughs> that is a great question. I think Comet Ping Pong is the only people who know the true answer to that. Comet Ping Pong. <laughs> yes. In DC. Yeah, no, I know. Okay. Uh, 
the Libertarian Party Blue Pilled Caucus at LP underscore Blue Pilled. The events of the past year have shown that the most important libertarian issue of our lifetime is anti-racism, followed closely by the right of transgender toddlers to receive chemical treatments. Where do you stand on these issues? Dude, you don't even need to qualify the Blue Pilled Caucus. That's just like every libertarian person, every person of the libertarian party. Not me. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot they're taking it over. Um, I, yeah. just, <laughs> uh, I just love the the wit he has there going on. Uh, okay, so uh, once again, I, I thought, thought the Q&A with Neocon Remover was solid work, and it was a little light, lighter side of everything, yet they get into all kinds of stuff. Okay, uh, the next one is actually near and dear to my heart, which is um, another one with Ace, and this time he did put it up on um, YouTube, and... This one is, we, we breaks down the legality and morality with ACE. That's kind of the whole, that's that's the topic of the of the, the show. Uh, and so let's set that up. And, and I think ACE does a bang up job on this as uh, you would expect. And as always, for understanding what is the legality and, and the difference between the two. You were, you were in a group chat that I'm in with you on Twitter talking about the issue of legality versus morality and how that's cropping up on Twitter all over the place where people are arguing and like presuming and kind of implying that if you don't approve of something in a moral sense, then that means you have to be against it in a legal sense, i.e. it should be outlawed or it should be, it's a violation right. of the NAP or whatever. So right. what, what, what's, what do you have to say about that if you, if you want to just have the floor? Yeah, sure. So I, I think this is something that's kind of bothered me for a while. And I think that libertarians especially should be kind of uh, more up on this than I think a lot of them are because they understand right, this is the argument they use against conservatives. Just because, you know, you don't personally approve of something or something you might find morally distasteful or a moral failing, it doesn't mean that should be uh, um, illegal. And I, I kind of see this in the libertarian movement and something, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. It's, it's certain people, not everyone. Uh, but I certainly see there's a tendency among some libertarians to kind of take the idea of the nap or like this um, ethic uh, that we propose and try to construe it as something that's like, okay, well, if you believe this is a, within a person's right, that means that you must believe that it's morally just for them to employ that right in all cases, right? right. And that's not necessarily uh, true. That doesn't logically follow necessarily, right? Like there's a lot of things, there are many, many examples of a person using their rights that we would think is wrong, right? So, and you also see this, well, it, when people bring up, well, it's just a private company, right? So <laughs> oh, God. even even if we say that, you know, we'll all right, that's enough of that one. So just kind of give you the, the setup and to where he is going with that. And by the way, does uh, is it ever OK to violate the nap um, in terms of morality and legality? Maybe uh, maybe they have something to say about that one as well. You, and we, just as you said earlier, you would violate the nap to, to stop somebody from committing suicide. Yeah. I, I think I would I would probably want to do that. I might do that if, if somebody was going down the road of hard drug abuse and maybe I would yeah. take maybe I would take their stuff. Maybe I would lock them out of the room with their stash. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's kind of a thing where and and you are accepting that you are infringing on somebody yes. else's right to do that. Oh yes, I, yeah. So and it's so it, so in, in a sense you are not you specifically, Ace, but you in general. If you are going to do something like that, that is sort of hypocritical. But that's a matter of. I'm willing to accept the consequences for this rights violation that I am inflicting on somebody right. else. And unlike the state, the state would say that, well, no, this we just have a right to do this, right? Whereas right. I would say that, no, right. I would do this in certain circumstances, but I would never like delude myself into thinking I have a like ethical right or obligation to do so. Okay, so with that, you can understand uh, violating the NAP that does have consequences still, and they're not at all saying that you know there's not recourse uh, for the other side if I violate their rights. In a sense, I still may have that, but you know, once again, uh, you, sometimes you have to go by your own morality and creed and code. Okay, uh, we'll keep going on that. Uh, what are the odds of getting to Ancapistan? And also, Ace, what is your education background? Let's see if we can uh, play this from Caleb, at Caleb, a bunch of numbers. What are odds we see actual anarchism in America in the next 20 to 40 years? I think that's a weird question, but well, I... Okay, so I, I think some people get confused when they there talk about anarchism. There is anarchism in America right now. Yes. There is. It does right. exist right now, but not 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 when, not the colloquial anarchism as in no state at all. Right, right. So, yeah, I think people get really confused, and I think you made a really good point there, which is that um, people conflate an anarchist society with anarchism itself, and I see this all the time, especially on the criticisms. So anarchism is just any, um, well, it's a, it's a social ethic. It's a interpersonal ethic, which states that ruling other people is illegitimate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, coercively dominating other people is illegitimate. So anytime another person has um, 
Uh, to answer the question, I do think there will be, and there are right now, pockets of anarchism in America. And I do think there will be more in the future. I don't think America uh, America, as we define it within these borders will be an anarchist society or a huge anarchist in my country. Or anything right. Like that. But uh, I do think there's possibility for those pockets to expand. And I do think think that uh, you know uh, it, it's important to make a distinction between anarchism and an anarchist society. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's anarchism in existence right now and always, always has been and always will be. Yes. Um, so th- you don't have to answer this. It may be a little personal. Uh, I mean... I don't know what you would define as personal, but this is from Joao. Joao, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. I know you, though. That's state, at Stateless FGC. Did you go to college, get trained by NSA to be a better Fed, or get big-brained on your own? <laughs> so it's funny. I am I was homeschooled, actually, and I'm pretty I can much— I tell. You're really fucking smart. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I was homeschooled, and I'm practically—I'm uh, pretty much, like, kind of—I don't know. Like, I'm trying to say this without, like, tooting my own horn, but I, I'm basically—I um, I learned on my own pretty You're much. You're big brain on your own. That's all. That's fine. That's, we're just answering a question. No—, no uh, I don't understand. Uh, I understand. We got you, brother. It's all right. <laughs> uh, it would be interesting to note there that Ace, maybe he's going to go into politics someday because he didn't actually answer the question about— did you go to Did you go to college? Uh, yeah, no one's. Uh, I am. I, I'm always curious about a lot of these people's background, and not for anything other than just it uh, fills in the story about who they are, and it makes you you know you enjoy them more. Whether he went to college or not really doesn't matter to me. His intellect and his ability to uh, debate and uh, give arguments <clears throat> is uh, pretty top notch. Okay, uh, next though they really, I mean uh, Nick really puts it to him and gives him the ultimate philosophical question, which, you know, we've probably all had at some point. And Lars Ulrich, Hitler, are they equatable? I'm, would you kill baby Hitler or baby Lars Ulrich? Oh. Lars, I will say this, Lars Ulrich gets way more hate than he deserves, and I will not apologize for that opinion. Hmm. Well, I don't, see, here's the thing. Uh, if you kill Hitler, then the timeline is just ruined, because then it's just like, who knows what the butterfly effects will be. Uh, but that could be said about anything. So I don't That's know. Right. I guess Hitler. So if I have to choose, if I am forced <laughs> into this choice, then I guess Hitler. Ace doing political. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's what we have for that one. So he, he took the, look, if you'd killed baby Lars Ulrich, maybe you would still have Napster though. I mean, just a thought out there. I don't know if that's something we, uh, we need and or miss in our lives. Uh, last, uh, all those of you still hanging out, uh, Congratulations, and I appreciate that. But the we'll last quote we'll do, or clip we'll do here, is with Jared the from the Hopian.org, and I thought it was a good intro uh, for kind of giving you an idea of where the Hopian.org came from. Um, also, a contrast to Libertarianism.org, and uh, here we, I think we can play this right out here. Sure that my audience is very familiar with you and your work. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about Hoppian.org, why you decided to create it, and what you think is a Hoppian to you. So yeah, so um, we started Hoppian.org probably a year ago. The the inclination to start Hoppian.org had been there since probably post-2012 after the Ron Paul campaign ended and there was a lot of internal strife in the libertarian ideosphere. Um, we can get into that more, but uh, essentially after that, there was a severe uptick in the amount of, I guess what I would call Wolberts or and, and left libertarians and a resurgence in the regime libertarians. And I know that we're I'm using a bunch of terms here, but those really are distinct groups to me. And with that, all of them kind of pushed towards this more egalitarian kind of worldview a little bit. And if you look back at the kind of the Misesian tradition with Rothbard and David Gordon and, um, you know, Hans Hoppe and all of these guys that really are to their core anti-egalitarian, it's, it's really hard. It was really hard to see like it, it for, for a right libertarian or a Hoppian or whatever, or even, even traditional Rothbardians, it was difficult to see. And we, we had to do something about it. Um, it at least, you know, I hate to use this term because it's a term that the left uses all the time, but speak truth to power, right? Right. And uh, with 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 that, we decided we decided. Well, we're just going to start writing, and if people like it, they'll support us. And if not, well, at least we got a platform to start ranting from, right? So, uh, especially with the advent of things like libertarianism.org, are you familiar with that whole thing? I am not. Oh man, when it got started, it's a it's a branch of Cato, okay. and it That's was all like, I need to know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh well, we're libertarianism.org. Obviously, we know everything about libertarianism, right? And then they start pushing the egalitarian ethic, of course, through Cato and everything else. So, we're we're kind of. A, a response to that, but more of a response to the whole Lolbert. Um, God, I hate that word. I really do, but it's the only word that I can use to describe them because it's such an awkward sounding word. But um, 
it's really the only thing I can use to describe them. We're we're the we're the anti-left libertarians, I guess you could say. Now, would you make a distinction between a left libertarian and we'll let you find out if he does make a distinction between the left libertarian and I'm not, I'm not really sure. Uh, look, I thought so great there. And part of that, it reminds me when I was first trying to get into this libertarian, I needed to find out more info. I wanted to find, you know, people and, and, and consume a bunch of things. I found libertarianism.org and I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. Uh, David Bowes and <laughs> saw some videos and it was him at like a conference table with some uh, nerdy kids um, and asking really stupid questions. I, I just, it turned me off so much and I'm glad I, I ran away from that uh, altogether. Okay. So those those are the clips that we have. So let's go through, and we're almost done here. Let's go through some of the categories and just get through what I feel about, feel what I think about uh, Nick and his podcast here. So we'll talk about the intro, music, uh, and the outro as an example. Look, um, his intro, right from episode one, he did really good. Uh, like I said, I loved to see the quality that's come up with this. And then you go through the, the contrast of the content, and he's got great content as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed going through the catalog. But like I mentioned before, sometimes the production isn't so great on some of these. And, and this one came right up from episode one. He hit it out of the box, and he uh, improved on it even some going forward. So kudos to him. I mean, if you watch that there, you could see he has guitars in the background, an amp, probably he has a nice mic. Um, he's at least on top of it. And he's done that. He's got the, the music in there, some sort of metal band um, production. So as I said, with the Tower Gang and some of these others, it's it's maybe that. But you're there for the laughs. You're there for the shits and the giggles. And this is um, both. It's not. It's and by the by the way, um, I, I thought at the last one he he gave an f bomb there. Uh, and on episode four with Jose, Jose's like, "Can I curse?" And he's like, "Eh, let's keep it PG thirteen, all right, buddy." And um, I think he's since gone away from that. How about ads? Well, uh, Nick here, it, it, I don't think he's probably got the downloads to garner the ads, but he's got the quality in the. Co and content to do so. So I think that's going to come at some point as long as he's continuing to make them. I mean, it's been almost, um, he hasn't done one for a little while. So uh, he's going to be obviously, hopefully doing well enough to get to get some ads and, and get your um, get your patronage as well. Timeliness of the topics, we've talked about that. Most of them are kind of evergreen on that side. Does he have a peer or a Patreon group? Um, I've not seen that he has any Patreon group um, or tier group, but I would imagine once you get going on that, he probably will. And a lot of these guys, hey, get his subs up higher on his YouTube channel. And if that's the case, perhaps he will start being able to do super chats and you can you know, help him out on that. Uh, young guy, 25, I think, uh, married. I don't think he has kids. Come on, let's support these people. The outro, once again, it's uh, been good. Sometimes he does a little breakdown of what just happened. Sometimes on the intro, he does a little uh, breakdown of what's going to take place, and he does those wells. The last bit, the tangibles. His host's ability to interview, well, Nick is 25, but I think he's he's well, well read, and I've been pretty impressed with his ability to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And, you know, Jonathan Newman comes on. It's a kind of a it could be a deep topic, you know, about economics, especially to an economics professor, especially a niche uh, that you have with the Mises side and the Austro-Libertarian. And he does a great job with that. And he had good questions uh, back and forth with Ace as well as we heard here. And Drew Hancock, I will say, I was disappointed with the Drew Hancock interview for one reason, okay? I wanted to interview Drew and ask him basically all those same questions that Nick did. So I, I'm listening. I'm like, here's what I would ask. And then he's asking him. So uh, only disappointed in the fact that he got to do it and, instead of me. Um, his ability to riff and give opinions. I think that's well done. His, he's well researched for those things as well. Um, I don't think he's reading into a script except for those first three episodes when he talked about it. So his ability to just uh, interview and, and go off the cuff is pretty good. Uh, you can't really tell uh, either way. Overall impression here is he, what scale of libertarian is he? Well, he claims to be um, ANCAP or right-leaning, maybe even a little bit Hoppian coming out uh, in there. Um, is it shareable with normies? And to me, this is always the prime one to kind of take a look at. Do you want to be able to share? You know, we've talked about this before. I don't think some of these, I'm not going to name names, is the one you want to give them to begin with to kind of red pill them and get them down that slippery slope. Um, anything with libertarian.org, you want, no, that's not what you want either. Uh, yes, he's most definitely uh, shareable with normies. Um, he's got his, uh, his own show, which is a little bit calmer than the Tower Gang, uh, a little bit different than, you know, when he's been a guest on some of the other shows. In fact, like I said, he told Jose to keep it PG-13. It's probably gone out of the way though, as we can see that he's just kind of doing his own thing. But yes, he's definitely, he's got a bunch of these topics that I think are interesting. 
and he does um, he does a great job of, of, of the 25 year old giving his point of view without really lecturing to you. Cause sometimes, you know, young kids, uh, they think that the first time they've thought of something is the first time anyone else has ever thought of it. So they're brilliant. And, um, I, I don't get that vibe from Nick at all. And I've been uh, quite impressed with it. Uh, conspiracy theory content, nothing really on the conspiracy theory spectrum, so to speak. Um, but like, like all of these shows kind of just depends on who your guest is and who you have on there. Okay, that's what we have. That's episode 18. The next episode is going to be not a podcast podcast. I've been halfway through that. Like I said, I had a little, uh, found out I was disassociated from one of the members on there. And I'm like, hey, I'm already through this. Now I'm going to, and I can't hate them the show. I, if I knew how to block myself, I would do that as well. No hard feelings at all on that. But I will be reviewing that podcast and uh, giving you a little bit more info about what I think about it. Um, so thanks for checking this out. We're on Odyssey, Locals, YouTube, uh, Overcast.fm, Spotify, Anchor.fm. That's all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoy it. Check me out on Josh Smith's show, um, Break the Cycle. And I'm then having the Tower Gang guys come on here. When is that? I think that's the, uh, the 29th or so of... Uh, September. So maybe we'll try to do that one as a live show. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend or wherever you're doing out there. Don't forget, follow me on Twitter and like the show. Thanks.